Welcome to the Oxford Berlin Creative Collaborations podcast. In this series, we showcase research projects across the arts and humanities, drawing on expertise from the University of Oxford and Berlin University of the Arts. This week's podcast is going to be about will play. Will play is an AI powered immersive reimagining of Shakespeare's plays, which enables school students to enter the world of the drama by chatting online with characters. As a message, they learn about the story, the themes, the language and the character development within the play. I'm Abby Williams and I'm Professor of 18th Century Studies at the University of Oxford. I work on the history of reading. I'm Rachel Hodge. I'm a doctoral researcher at St John's College, Oxford, working on early modern tragedy before Shakespeare, and I'm one of the co-creators of Will Play. And I'm Felicity Brown. I'm also a doctoral researcher. I'm at Jesus College, Oxford, working on the adaptation and reception of Arthurian romance in early modern drama. So do you want to start, Abby, by telling us a bit about how Will Play began? Yeah, sure. So Will Play began about hmm, two years ago, is that right? I went to a workshop organised by the Humanities Division in Oxford, which was intended to help academics meet up with people who worked in the creative industries. And I met someone called Annette Parry there, who runs a company called To Play For, a local game studio. And she told me about this platform that they'd created for interactive storytelling called Charisma AI. And that seemed really interesting to me in terms of someone coming from literature that you could have a... You could have a kind of software that enabled players to shape a story as they went along using messaging. So kind of putting a chatbot within the story. And so from there, from that first conversation, we got a little bit of seed funding to make a pilot. Um, and, and it's really kind of developed from there, as you know. Where did the idea come from for it to be a Shakespeare project rather than any other kind of story? It's a really good question. So one of the things that we first started talking about was the potential of using this platform to retell an existing story. And some of the most told, most studied and in some ways most challenging existing stories for our students and certainly those younger than our students are Shakespeare's plays because they can seem so inaccessible. And yet they're compulsory part of the secondary syllabus for a lot of students. So we thought it would be really exciting to try to plug that into a Shakespeare play and see what it looked and felt like when students got the chance to engage in a chatting way with characters in a Shakespeare play. But it was partly to do with the kind of universality of the teaching of Shakespeare and its inaccessibility because of the language and historical distance. So I've been talking a little bit about how this project started. It'd be really nice to hear from you about what you made, what Will Play is and how you evolved it as you as you were writing on it. Sure, totally. Um, so I remember back in the, the very early days, Felicity, that we were given two scenes to kind of create prototypes of, one from Macbeth and one from Romeo and Juliet, because they're the most studied plays in schools. And after kind of playing around with those scenes a little bit, we decided to... Uh, run with Romeo and Juliet because it's a play about young people it's a play that really appeals to young people and so we really thought that it would uh, translate really well to a chat-based format so we developed a three-part structure so that the player kind of moves through the play um, through three chats one covering the early acts which is about love um, the middle act the kind of act of conflict um, which is about hate and then the end of the play um, 
in a chat which is kind of centered around the theme of of death um i don't know if you want to say a bit more felicity about the way that we've sort of presented the the platform the use of images that kind of thing Yep, so exactly that. As Rachel says, it's kind of subdivided into three different levels, um, as it were. And to move through them, the, the player first selects an avatar. Uh, so uh, in the first level, that can be a representation of themselves in early modern dress. There's a wide selection of characters. But in the second and third levels, those characters are more prescriptive. So you can be uh, a Benvolio in a dress or Benvolio with short hair or long hair or Benvolio um, of different styles for the second level, but you're always Benvolio because actually his role, um, the character becomes more immersed as the levels get harder. Uh, and in the final the final uh, death level, you always play the friar. So a, a player who's not um, secondary like Benvolio, but who's very much at the heart of the action. So in that sense, the player gets more challenged um, as they go through. But once they've selected their avatar, they're then presented with a series of uh, sort of Instagram style images, which do some scene setting, some world building and outline uh, the story um, up to the point at which the action starts in Will Play. So we set up a, a kind of account called Verona Goss, which is a kind of a sort of Gossip Girl style um, image based way of setting the scene, introducing some of the characters. We had a lot of fun creating handles and hashtags for <laughs> various different um, peripheral characters like the Prince or, you know, the Montague and Capulet, old Montague and old Capulet. And so once the player has clicked through those, um, which obviously is something they can linger on or something they can skim through, they then enter the chat. and. In love, the first level, that's a, a quite a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Juliet, who's consulting them about having met Romeo at this party. And Romeo, she then brings into the chat. In the second level, it's the it's a kind of version of a, of a group chat. So it's the Montague Lads chat. Um, and there are quite a lot of characters in that. And then the third chat is larger still, and that's set. It's a kind of open chat for Verona Church. So anyone within a couple of miles of Verona Church. And so all of the characters that cluster around the tombs at the end, um, they are all kind of participating in that. And yeah, so it, within those, the, the character then, um, or rather the player chats to the characters and can up to a certain point shape the action um, as they move through um, the events of the play. The three of us obviously have done lots of work on this together with Annette um, at To Playful, but there have been a number of other collaborations that have developed the project um, in quite exciting ways. Um, could you talk us through some of those? Yeah, sure. That's been one of the most fun aspects of this project for me, working with not just you two on the writing, but with a group of other people to build a resource that has so many different kind of elements. So. We commissioned an illustrator, Stu Harrison, to create Bitmoji type illustrations um, to kind of set the scene for the for the stories that we were creating, and a musician, Giles Lewin, and then a firm to make a promo video. And thinking about a research project as a team activity involving loads of different kinds of expertise that are so far from my own demanded a certain kind of creative input, but also meant taking a kind of backseat and letting other people do their job really well. That was a really enjoyable part of the whole process. 
something that I found really exciting to sort of pick up on what Rachel was just saying about balancing the the language that we were taking from from the play and a more a, a language more fitting to the medium. So obviously much shorter um, bursts of text, abbreviations, a completely different register. Um, and integrating those, I think, was the beginning of what has become really, really important to Will Play's aesthetic, which is this kind of quite aggressive mashup of the contemporary and, and the Shakespearean. And I think that that is something that I've really enjoyed watching a lot of the different people that we've worked with develop in different ways. That's something that um, I feel like we ha we have contributed to that in, in, in our small ways, but that's also been gone in really fun directions elsewhere. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think like having an argument with the illustrator on email about whether a hat was funky enough for a particular kind of avatar that we were looking a at. Frumpy avatar. <laughs> no frumpy in ours. Um, yeah, you kind of get insights into the ways in which everyone can see it has a contemporary appeal or contemporary resonances, but they come with that contemporaneity from different viewpoints. That was a really fun part of the process. And so we got the initial funding for the project from Creative Industry Seed Fund from Oxford. But then you applied to Nesta, and that's been really key to both the way the project has developed and the kind of inputs you've got and the kind of community you've been part of. Could you speak a bit about the involvement with Nesta? This was, I mean, Rachel, this has got to be you because this was your great discovery. Yeah, so um, we we found out that uh, the organisation Nesta were uh, running their first ever funding award for short form um, digital storytelling. Um, it was their Alter Narratives Award for, yeah, kind of unusual um, and innovative forms of storytelling aimed at young people. So uh, it really felt like this had just come along at the perfect time for us where we'd, as you said, Abby, run out of our kind of initial funding and we were really not quite sure where to take the project next. And we were lucky enough to um, be shortlisted for Nesta, which not only meant that we got uh, some additional funding, but we were also invited along to a series of what turned out to be online workshops. It actually still worked um, really brilliantly. Um, and I think what it really encouraged us to do was think about the structure and think about how we were going to tell our story. It was through Nesta, for example, that we devised this um, the sort of three-part structure of, of Will Play, of Romeo and Juliet. Until that point, we'd really been focusing on one scene, but we weren't sure how we were going to cover the entirety of a play in a relatively short space of time. And they also gave us a lot of ideas about how to collaborate with other kinds of artists. So it was through Nesta that we actually um, got the idea of collaborating with an illustrator and uh, the idea of yeah having someone compose music for Will Play. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in there and absolutely agree with that, which is I feel like the Nesta experience helped us really lean into not just digital storytelling, but the idea of that kind of multimedia approach to storytelling, which I think we, as people who study English and love Shakespeare and study Shakespeare, I think we felt quite quite focused on the words and like we spent a lot of time talking and working on, on the writing and it was through and out of um, Nesta that we we felt really able to be quite experimental that's how the Instagram stories evolved and yeah a lot of what is now I think quite magical about the Will Play experience like the music and the art um, that kind of I guess the seed of that was in was in the Nesta. Yeah it's also um, really excitingly led to Will Play being showcased on BBC Tasters 
which has allowed it to reach a wider audience and yeah, given us a sort of initial way of testing it with people, uh, which has been really helpful. I mean, as well as getting so much out of all these like wonderful support systems that we've had to put into Willplay, I personally feel like I've got a lot out of the Willplay process myself. And I'd just be quite interested to hear about what both of you feel you've taken from it. What's been so fascinating for me is that we started in one place and we've ended up in a really different place. So when we first had the discussions, when I first met Annette, I thought, oh, imagine if you could um, use this to kind of workshop contingency within narrative, you know, that we could use this as a way of teasing out all the alternative stories that were there within a pre-existing um, text. So we could take Hamlet and say what would happen if he was a bit more decisive or Macbeth was not persuaded by his wife or whatever. And then it became really clear talking to you two and thinking about the end. So I suppose in some ways the sort of commercial focus of this or the sense that it was going to be used by a by students in schools and we had to make it work for them made us realize there's no point teaching them about loads of versions of Hamlet that don't exist they need to study the one that does exist um and so its focus has shifted slightly from being a the might have beens to how do we use this particular platform as a way of promoting engagement so that for me was quite a big shift. And I think that we have come to the right um, solution there and then just totally running with that and using it as a, as a mechanism for engagement and interactivity and then piling on the music and the images and the social media parallels as a way of promoting that engagement. And I don't really know that much about social, you know, it's not my world, but I, I have really enjoyed just going with it and, um, that's been exciting, ending up somewhere quite different from where we started. And I just totally love working together as a team and the kind of enthusiasm that's come from that and the different kinds of skills from everyone, from you two, from the creatives, from Annette at Playful. Yeah, I think um, to build on that, Abby, that one of the biggest things I feel I've got out of it is the opportunity to work as a team, which, um, well, you'll both know that as a, a literature researcher isn't something you get to do all that often. Um, and... I've also found surprising insights into my own work. When when I started out on this project, I saw it as something that would be um, quite separate from my own PhD research and that uh, it would be sort of public engagement, it would be um, education, but it wouldn't have a bearing on what I know about the period I, I work on. Um, but actually, I've found surprising insights and one of those has been into collaborative writing. Um, so in the early modern period, lots of plays were written by multiple playwrights, one or two um, two or three playwrights working together and I feel like through co-writing it Felicity that we've probably had a sort of hands-on um, sort of parallel experience as to how that might have worked in terms of how you divide up uh, a play between two people and then also how you just sort of start to absorb um, elements of each other's writing styles. There's lots of, of criticism on how collaboration worked, how we can identify different authorial voices in one play um, but I feel like this has been a really sort of hands-on way of finding out more about that. It absolutely kills me. My dissertation for my master's, so before we started this, was on um, kind of new developments in 
the authorial scholarship on the Henry VI plays by Shakespeare. So that idea that not only was Marlowe involved, but multiple other people. And the way that I wrote about collaborative writing now, looking back on it, I mean, maybe everyone feels this about their master's um, dissertation, but it feels quite cringe as if there must have been a very very kind of organized uh sort of spreadsheet with you don't touch this that's yours that's mine as if like this is what was happening and and working on will play exactly as you say rich has totally changed how i think about how i think about not just collaborative authorship but just authorship because as you say you start picking up and stealing quite flagrantly other people's um good habits and my, my yeah the structure and clarity of my work has certainly improved by imitating Rachel. So you said Rachel I think, I think it's really interesting this point about learning about collaborative authorship are there any other kind of insights or parallels between the world of historical practice that you uh, study and what you've created in Will Play and how Will Play works? Yeah, totally. Um, so I think as we've been uh, building role play, we've been starting to think a lot about original practice. So original practice refers to a kind of uh, dramatic performance, usually, which tries to emulate the conditions uh, of performance at the time the play was written. So the New Globe Theatre in London is a really good example of this, where um, the theatre looks like an early modern playhouse, the actors all wear sort of early modern costumes, the audience are groundlings and kind of stand up in the theatre. And it's trying to recreate the experience of going to the theatre in the 1600s. Um, the problem with that is that for a playgoer in the 1600s, what they saw in the theatre would be very familiar to them from their everyday lives. So the theatre wouldn't look or feel that different to everything else they're doing. The clothes are very familiar, the language is more familiar, the music's more familiar. Whereas for us now, it kind of turns theatre into this wonderfully sort of uh, interesting and exciting historical artefact. Um, and so we started to think about will play as a, a different take on original practice. So rather than um, trying to bring your audience back in time, you bring the material sort of radically up to date and you're using um, media that's really familiar um, and you're making references that are really familiar and trying to sort of make the world of the play the world of the audience again. Um, and the other thing that we found or that we were really interested in was that early modern playgoing was a very interactive experience. So um, playhouses were very noisy. You would have people sort of walking through the audience trying to sell things. There's one possibly slightly fictional anecdote about a time in the playhouse when the theatre company were performing a tragedy and the audience basically decided that they didn't want to watch a tragedy and they started throwing oranges at the players until the players changed their costumes and started um, performing a comedy called the Merry, Merry Milkmaids instead. And so uh, obviously that just we'll is not happy that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they can't quite do that. There are no, there's no, um, there's no orange throwing, but um yeah, nowadays people are sort of very well behaved in the theatre and we all know to sit quietly and, you know, open our crisp packets very quietly um, and not... Uh... Chris? <laughs> no, Chris! <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think um, Will Play uh, being a sort of chat-based system means that you get some of that interactivity back. Uh, it puts the the player back into the play, allows them to not quite shout at the characters, but interact and and, and make a difference to what's happening, as it were, on stage. Mm. So that kind of question about it being heretical to somehow change Shakespeare's play and to create these interjections in some ways might be more historically authentic. 
than the kind of fourth wall experience of passivity that we associate with modern play going. Yeah, totally. So, Abby, you spoke a little bit earlier about how Will Play has uh, evolved over the past couple of years and the way that it started out as being this exploration um, of storytelling and contingency, um, but that we sort of realised that it would work really well as an educational resource. Um, And I wondered if you could just say a little bit more about what that transition uh, has involved. Yeah, that's been fascinating, that part of the process. So once I think we realised that it was it could be really powerful as a way of engaging secondary school students with Shakespeare, we started talking to some uh, possible partners, publishers. And the thing that people always wanted to know when they heard about it was, how does it go down in schools? What do teachers say about it? What do students say about it? What works? What doesn't work? And I've got two teenage kids. There's only so much you can do with your own kids. Uh, And there's only so much you can exploit them or that they want to have anything to do with any of the things that you do in your work. So before lockdown started, we did a couple of trial sessions in their school, which kind of involved me scooting across their playground with my head down, trying not to get noticed because I promised them that I would not reveal that I was their mum. And one of the things that I think came across really clearly from those sessions was that the way in which we pitched it made a massive difference to its success or failure. So in the first session, we went into a classroom full of, what were there, 10, 15 kids in there? Um, And we said, this is an exciting game based on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet play, and you can play the game now in the classroom. And their feedback was very much kind of comparing what we'd offered them with the kind of games they might choose to play at home on their PS4, and clearly finding Will play wanting, Uh, and (laughs) which is not so surprising. And then in the second session, we went back and said, this is a learning resource that you can use as a different way into reading Shakespeare's play. And the feedback was way more positive. I mean, they loved it. They didn't want to stop playing at the end of the session. They said, this is the kind of thing I'd like to do as a reward in class. So the framing of it as a resource rather than as a game made a massive difference um, for those kids. And from them, I felt like even those early sessions, which were before lockdown started, and when we had really minimal functionality in the game, it was all text-based, we started to kind of sound out what we might need to do to make it work for them. So they didn't seem to want it to be all kind of video, few, um, but they did want to use a language which was partly visual. So introducing emojis was a key part of the extra development we did with some more funding from Oxford. Thanks, Oxford. And yeah, just kind of shaping it around some quite kind of concrete requests from students about the things that were working and weren't working. And it was it was absolutely right that we couldn't really know what it had to do until we tested it. And um, that's been, I think, a key part of its development and its success. The teachers that I've heard back from have really uh, enjoyed how it encourages the students to engage personally feel that kind of personal investment in the characters and the play uh and the way that it builds confidence I think has gone down really well because the language is so accessible by the time the difficult quotes start appearing there's loads of frames within which students understand which means that when the teachers then kind of turn back to the scene in their textbooks uh students feel that they have a like a grasp of of what's going on and so approach that differently I think that teachers were surprised at how 
how much close language work and close kind of thematic work can be done through the game. So the ways in which, for example, it differentiates between different kinds of learners. So based on their reply, a character will then say something different, something more challenging um, or more supportive and explanatory. Um, so it does, in a sense, it does some of the teachers work for them. And do you think that um, lockdown has created a particular moment for something like will play? Is there a particular call for this kind of educational resource because of the circumstances schools have suddenly found themselves in? It's strange that because, of course, we started um, working on will play before COVID kind of happened, or at least certainly before it happened to us. But it does feel like there's a massive call now for this kind of accessible online learning. I mean, will play has been popular in schools that we tested in because of its versatility. Lots of schools don't have suites of computers or iPads that are readily accessible, but students can play it on their phone. Um, and that means it's something that students who are at home and don't necessarily, you know, they may have to share their computer um, with parents who are working and siblings who are also trying to learn. So it's something that in that sense has gone down really well. And I know you and I have talked um, at some length about some of the kind of connections. I mean, within Romeo and Juliet itself, there is obviously like the letter that means that the lovers end up dead rather than kind of dancing off um, into a happy ever after is, is doesn't reach Romeo with the plan to, to kind of fake Juliet's death and for him to come get her because of a pandemic, because of a lockdown. And so that's something that I think we've drawn out a bit um, in Will Play. But I think there's also something maybe larger that's quite interesting about, you know, obviously Shakespeare himself lived through a number of plague outbursts and pandemics that closed the theatres and um, I guess fostered a kind of innovation. Shakespeare obviously wrote, turned to print narrative poems. There are different, you know, as well as obviously writing, people talk a lot about how he wrote King Lear in, in a kind of lockdown. But I think that sense of creativity as a result of necessity is something that has fed into Will Play, but is also kind of emerging out of it with the school's testing. So what next? I mean, that is the question. Where is it going? I mean, Abby, you could talk a little bit about some of our ideas for the coming year. Um, I would really like to work with an external partner who can help us reach broader groups, whether that's a publisher or someone in the ed tech sector, and really think about how we might scale this up, because we've done this for one Shakespeare play. We could clearly do it for other Shakespeare plays. We could do it for other texts which are part of the curriculum, but we could also use it for other forms of educational content, because I think the messaging format is really powerful as a way of engaging students. And as you said, that way in which it's able to respond to them at different levels, so it has a kind of staging built into it, uh, which makes it responsive. Um, you know, we haven't really started to explore the potential of that beyond what we've created, but it'd be really wonderful to do that. Among all our fun conversations about will play I think some of the ones that I found most exciting have been those very kind of preliminary chats that we've had about the ways in which what we've built which we have I think focused on drama because we knew we were thinking about Shakespeare and we've teased out loads of ways in which this yeah kind of can help draw out nuances of that form but when we've started talking about how what we've now got might help 
you know, might work or operate as a way into different forms. So whether that's kind of lyric poetry or the novel and free and indirect speech, um, not to mention geography and, you know, talking about rocks, it has been, I think, really exciting. Totally. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we we spoke earlier on about how the charisma platform seems so particularly suited to working with Romeo and Juliet. But I think through the process of creating this particular version of Will Play, we've just started to get some insights into how versatile the platform is as an educational resource and how many other things we could do with it. World domination then. <laughs> Next step. 20, yeah, 2021. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to us and please follow our progress with World Play. And if you want to have a play, you can go onto the BBC uh, Tasters website. If you just search for World Play BBC Tasters um, and you can, yeah, chat your way through me and Julia. Bye. 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 Many thanks for listening to us talk about our work. We hope you found it stimulating and that you'll subscribe to more thought-provoking podcasts from artists and researchers working in Oxford and Berlin. If you want to get in touch, do email on info at oib.ox.ac.uk.